T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Once again, everything you thought you knew about the NFL was wrong. Who knows who's going to win the Super Bowl? It was another wild, bizarre, bonkers weekend in the game we love, which brings us to Football Monday. Also, the landscape in college football has been changed rather dramatically. We'll break that all down for you on a Football Monday, home at home, radio.com, sports original. We are brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. Check out Zip Recruiter, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. Once again, the smartest way to hire. We got it all covered for you on this football Monday. Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports. He was at the LSU Alabama game on Saturday. He's going to talk about the new front runner for the Heisman Trophy, the new number one. LSU and what an upset it was. And how about Ed Orgeron? Is he a pleasure to watch? 9.30 a.m., Carrington Harrison, 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. With how on earth the Chiefs put up more than 500 yards of offense, got Patrick Mahomes back. He was brilliant, including a jump throw, and they still lose to the Titans. 10 o'clock hour, we're going to debate what might be the best game of the weekend Seahawks Niners Monday night football sets up as a beauty. But first, I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker is back home from West Point, which matters even more today because, folks, it is Veterans Day. And if we can play something that happened yesterday at Madison Square Garden, 90. That is the sound of the harmonica belonging to 96-year-old World War II veteran Pete Dupre, who played the national anthem at MSG to honor Veterans Day. We're going to get to all things Football Monday. Ross Tucker, you were at West Point over the weekend, and you got to pay tribute to a relative as well. I thought it was a special moment. I think everyone should take the time today to show their appreciation to all the veterans that have served this country well. Good Monday morning, my friend. Yeah, good. well said, Dave. Happy Veterans Day to all of the vets out there. Uh, you know, I know how you feel about it, Dave. I feel very, very strongly about it. I think almost everybody, you know, our grandparents' generation has someone that served on some level. My grandfather, Carl Bachman, uh, made a career of it. You know, he was a career captain 
in the U.S. Army. My mom was born at Fort Lewis, Washington, in, in, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. My aunt was born in Alaska. And my mom graduated from Fort Knox High School in Kentucky with Romeo Cornell, by the way, which is kind of funny. That he was, wow. uh, Ar- Romeo Cornell was an Army brat as well. So I'll say this um, I have the utmost respect for anyone that's ever served, the decision that they make. Uh, you know, I, it's an honor to be at West Point every home game. They have one more this Saturday. And to talk to those young men that have made the decision that they have. But really, it's more about the people that have served us over the years. I got to tell you, Dave, you know, it's like a small, it's a small void in my life, I would say. You know, I don't know when the opportunity would have been, and maybe there are ways down the line I can contribute, but I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty confident guy. I feel pretty good about my resume and my life so far at age 40, but I do feel like serving in some capacity is one thing that I'm kind of missing, you know, when it comes to uh, what I've done so far with my life. And so that's, I think, probably one reason why I feel so strongly about the veterans. There's a Ford Indian Town Gap, which is the National Guard is around here in Pennsylvania where I live. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess it's my like, really small way of of contributing but anytime i see any anybody in uniform at red robin or any five guys or something <laughs> i pay for their meal i don't know if that's guilt or or what but uh i just i just want everybody that has ever served to know how much i appreciate what they've done and the life i'm able to have with my family because of them that's a fantastic tribute man that is really nice way to start Veterans Day. And with each generation, I think there is less connection to the military. Um, Certainly our parents had a closer connection. They had friends, they had relatives who went off to war and their parents had an even closer connection. Then when it comes to us passing on to our children, we'll have, at least for, for many of us, we'll have no connection to the military. We'll never know anyone that will serve or has served. And so it's important for all of us to just two or three minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, talk with your kids about the sacrifice. Excuse me, I don't want to get emotional about the sacrifice these people make uh, because I don't think our children appreciate it. And a lot of us, quite frankly, do not as well. All right, enough of us whoa, getting whoa, emotional. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Dave, hold on a second. I know we're going to yeah. get into the football talk and there's a lot. I mean, it was underdog Sunday I love snow games. It should be mandatory every football game's in the snow. Mandatory from now on. There has to be snow while football games are being played. I love that. I love the underdog victories. We'll get into Lamar Jackson. Ridiculous. It's actually kind of ridiculous that Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes played that well and their teams both lost. I mean, that that's all. So we're going to get into all of it. There's a lot of college football talk to get into as well. I did just want to say uh, or ask you one thing, Dave, um, as it relates to the military. You know, do you think that, and this is probably a longer conversation, but do you think, uh, let me make two points. One is, 
everybody listening on the radio.com app or radio.com slash home or watching, I would just I would just ask you to if you see a man or a woman in uniform, just say thank you. That's it. If that's all you do, that goes a lot further and is a lot more than you realize. If you see a man or woman in uniform, say thank you. But my question, Dave, to your point about the connection with the military and it receding, how would you feel if we had a a mandatory two-year military commitment like they have in Israel, for example? I just feel like the country would be a lot different if everyone had a a two-year commitment like that. I love the idea. I love the concept, but in all practicality, you cannot put that genie back in the bottle. Um, Look, it's it's certainly a nice thought. I think it would certainly... Um, for one thing, it would teach our, our children about sacrifice and about service, but I also think it would help uh, heal the fractures in this country because once you're all serving the same country, once you're in there with Republicans and Democrats and, oh, my God, how we hate one another today, I think it have nothing but positive impacts upon society. That being said, in all practicality, just no way. We'll never put that genie back in the bottle. And on top of that, I'm not sure the U.S. military needs it at this point either. And you? Yeah, I, 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 I would love it. I think it would be great for all the reasons that you mentioned. I don't think two years is asking too much. I think it would give everyone a much better appreciation. Because I think people lose sight sometimes. That, like There are still bad guys out there that are not like that they don't like us. And I think people lose sight of that. It's like, because we're so far removed from anything like that. So uh, I guess there's also something to be said though, for it being like an all volunteer army, so to speak, you know, everybody that is in the service made that decision. I, I think that there's, there's something positive to be said about that too, rather than it being mandatory. So uh, it's a good topic, I think. I, I you know, we yeah. can delve into that some other time. Maybe not, maybe not on a football Monday. <laughs> but <laughs> that's let's, right. Let's circle back to this in July, Dave. Table this for July. In July, we're having a long show about mandatory military commitment. Don't miss it. Maybe even on a Wednesday. Just on a Monday, there is a <laughs> lot to get to, and there certainly was a salute to service on Sunday before the Sunday night football game and at halftime as well. Cowboys and Vikings Sunday night. Minnesota gets it done, and they can shed that narrative. The Vikings were 0-9-1 on their last 10 road games versus winning teams. Kirk Cousins was 1-7 on the road against winning teams. There was all these narratives and the Vikings get it done. And we're going to get into the Cousins narrative and whether it was deserved or not. Got to start with the Dallas Cowboys, however, because Dak Prescott was outstanding in this game. They needed a black cat, though. They needed a black cat because they just couldn't seem to get this one done. Dak did everything he could to get this one over the top, 397 yards, three touchdowns, but Zeke Elliott could never eat. He was starving on this day, 20 carries for 47 yards, and the familiar narrative came back for the Dallas Cowboys, which is one of slow starts. 
They trailed 14 to nothing, and they were trying to dig themselves out of the hole, and they did it fantastically in part because Amari Cooper is a magician. The toe-tapping excellence he has shown throughout his time in Dallas, 11 catches, 147 yards, touchdown. It's just been incredible. But I have to ask you about the play calling because that, to me, is what stood out after watching this game. Late in the game, under a minute, third and two, Zeke having starved throughout this game, he's jammed, he loses yards. Fourth and five, they throw the ball and look to Zeke Elliott again. He's shut down, they turn it over. The play calling really felt like what lost them the game on this night. I'm not sure if it was Kellen Moore or if it was Jason Garrett. Can you back up that play calling? I know it goes through Zeke Elliott, but did that stand out to you and is that what cost him the game? Well, no. I mean, look, I, I never like to have a, have it boil down to just one or two plays. And I understand that the Cowboys were trying to sort of serve two masters there, Dave, by running clock so that they would score the touchdown and give the Vikings as little time as possible to go down and get a game-tying field goal to send it to overtime. I'm okay with one run there, but two I thought was a major mistake. They got eight yards on the first down pass. You've got a quarterback, Dak Prescott, who was awesome, awesome all game long. The offensive line, and especially Zeke Elliott with the blitz pickup, they were outstanding. And then you run it twice, and then on fourth down, you're going to throw the ball on an out route to Zeke out of the backfield? It, it just was weird because of the amount of success they had throwing the ball to Amari Cooper, to Michael Gallup, to their receivers in the middle of the field. Look, even if you want to run clock, they haven't stopped any of those slants all game. They, haven't, they hadn't stopped any of the in-breaking routes the whole game. Call one of those. He'll get tackled short of the end zone in the field of play. The clock will keep running. You can still accomplish that goal. For them to have the last three plays, none of them be throws from Dak to the receivers, which is how they move the ball up and down the field the whole game, I thought was really poor. I do think it's a little bit comical and funny to me that you know, when the offense is going well for the Cowboys, Kellen Moore gets all the credit. When the <laughs> offense, you know, goes yeah. bad, Jason Garrett gets all the blame. Like, it can't be that way. Like, give them both the credit and both the blame, or one or the other. But you can't you can't have it both ways. Give them Kellen Moore. Look at him. He's dealing Kellen Moore. Oh, they got something. Right. That was right. that that must have been Jason Garrett. I mean, it's obviously uh, a combination of both, but you got to give them both the credit or the blame. But it was really poor, really surprising the way that Dak played to see the Cowboys get stuffed three straight plays when it was second and two. Second and two. It, it was it was just a stunning turn of events. Yeah, I, I hate to start Monday uh, with play calling, but that, that just seems to me what jumped out. I mean, 
God, Amari Cooper is just, he is fantastic. You got to pay that, man. I don't know who you're going to extend first, whether it's he or Dak. You got to extend it. But, but Amari Cooper is essential for this football team. Hell with load management. That guy pays plays through pain just about every week, and he is brilliant. Let's get some reaction from the Cowboys, starting with Jerry Jones on Zeke Elliott, and then Zeke Elliott on Zeke Elliott. start of the game it said Zeke's not going anywhere and uh, uh, that was the story of the game and uh, so he uh, designed a plan to win the game that way Uh, we uh, uh, had trouble getting them off the field at times and uh, uh, that limited us from uh, uh, getting uh, uh, more of our ups which we needed to Uh, I thought uh, uh, Dak was outstanding uh, Cooper was outstanding uh, tonight, uh, and I really thought our protection was uh, really impressive here tonight. Um, yeah, we just got to eliminate them. Uh, like, like you said, we battled back and we we uh, got ourselves within striking distance. Actually, took the lead, uh, but you know if we eliminate the, the slow starts, uh, I mean, who knows where where uh, we would be? But uh, I mean, all we got to do, all we can do, is just you know focus on. Going to, uh, going to work this week, watching film and uh, just seeing where we can improve. That's Zeke Elliott. Had a little jersey exchange between Zeke and Cook. And at this point, there is no one in the game you'd rather have than Dalvin Cook. Yes, certainly I'm not taking anything away from Christian McCaffrey, but Dalvin Cook is a magician as well. The guy, what he can do on the ground, what he can do through the air. And we'll get to the Vikings in a sec. But first, let's listen to Dak Prescott talk about the play calling that we just mentioned and whether he thought the coaches uh, were throwing him under the bus. Listen. I agree with uh, the guys in the locker room and that play calling. I mean, as I said, you ask that offensive line, you ask the running the running back, they're going to say that they need to execute those plays. We get the, that first down. Nobody in here is even uh, talking about that they took the ball out of my hands, right? Uh, so it comes down to execution. We just got to execute those plays. And as I said, those linemen would say that. The running back would say that. The whole team would say that. Um, we're not going to talk about what we should have done, what we could have done. We've just got to learn learn from it uh, and, and do better next time. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I love that 30 seconds of interaction. One, what a man Dak Prescott is with that answer. What a mighty, mighty good man. <laughs> That's what you you can't not say that. Right. So good for him. That's that's what the boss of the locker room does. No, not only does he say I'm not going to question play calling, which he will not publicly. He says either will anybody else. That wasn't uh, a revelation. That was an order. Fish. That's our guy, Fish. That's our guys uh, on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas this morning. Yes, that's some accountability. You like to hear that from a quarterback, Ross. I love it. I love Dak Prescott. I'm I'm all in on Dak Prescott. I got to tell you, I I was a little bit unclear, a little bit on the fence coming into this year. I love everything about the dude. I love that hip thing he does before the game. That was uh, 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 awesome. That was awesome. I, I love the hip thing. The hips don't lie. He's playing as well as he ever has. I love the way he carries himself. His backstory with his mom is incredible. He is a leader. He does say the right things. He's not just taking the first contract from the Cowboys. He knows he makes a lot of money off the field. He's just a stud. 
I, I think I'm higher on Dak Prescott than most other people out there right now. Now, in, in fairness, Dave, he had a very clean pocket and his receivers made some tremendous catches, but I don't care. I, I, I mean, he made so many good throws. He is right now a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And that's really, if you're the Cowboys, that's the biggest issue, isn't it? I mean, look at this for a second, Dave. You've got a top 10 quarterback in the NFL and Dak Prescott. It's probably 8, 9, 10. I don't care. He's a top 10 quarterback. You've got Zeke Elliott at running back. You're getting pretty good production out of Witten and Jarwin at tight end. You've got a top five offensive line. Your receivers, Gallup and obviously Cobb. Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb, they're playing well. Defensively is where I think they've been a little disappointing. I mean, Jalen, you still have Jalen Smith, Sean Lee Vanderesh, so you're happy about that, but those guys haven't been quite as good as they were last year. Uh. Demarcus Lawrence is a madman. Now you've got Michael Bennett with them. You've got Robert Quinn getting sacks on the other side. The secondary, uh, Byron Jones, secondary probably leaves a little bit to be desired. But my point is this, Dave. they got a really good roster. I mean, they got a really good team. And you point to all these position groups where you're like, well, he's good, he's good. And yet they're five and four. Yet they're middling like they've been seemingly the whole time under Jason Garrett in Dallas. Yeah, they're one and four outside the division. And it feels like, well, at some point you're going to have to win outside the division. They're 4-0 in it, 1-4 outside the division. So this Cowboys team clearly limited, especially when you get gashed by Dalvin Cook. Not necessarily on the ground, solid on the ground, spectacular through the air. 183 total scrimmage yards. He leads the league in that category today. But, of course, this one is about Kirk. Cousins, the quarterback who's able to change the narrative. I wish he brought this gem back. You like that? You like that? Oh, I wish he would bring that back. You like that? Because Kirk Cousins was 23 of 32, 222 touchdowns. I know you never liked that narrative that he couldn't go on the road and win big games against winning teams. Whether you like it or not, at least it's a narrative that feels like he may have changed. Uh, at least, you know, for one game, for one minute, it feels like, okay, maybe this team can win a big spot on the road. This feels like a Super Bowl team, especially given 10 straight runs is what broke the back of the Cowboys. When you have that commitment to the running game and a quarterback playing the way he is, feels like a team that is built for a postseason run, don't they? Well, look, they, they did it last night on multiple levels. Kirk Cousins won a primetime game. The Vikings beat a team with a winning record on the road. So they, they checked a couple of those boxes, which I thought was really impressive. I will say this. I just want to see what the stats are for every other quarterback against winning teams <laughs> on the road. I mean, you're, you're going to have a losing record against teams with a winning record on the road. Otherwise, you should go like undefeated every year. Those are the hardest games on the road against a winning team. You should have a losing record against them. I mean, I, I just some of the stats we come up with just drive me absolutely bananas. It's it's crazy. But yeah, I thought I thought you know Cousins' numbers weren't crazy, Dave. But early in the game, especially, 
you know, guys were coming free, and he was still getting rid of the ball, the screens to Dalvin Cook, the touchdown passes to Rudolph. I still can't believe that first touchdown one-handed catch <laughs> by Kyle Rudolph. Vikings are a very good team, and they're going to be in the mix until the end. I, I think unlike the AFC, I think the NFC wildcard teams have a chance to go on a playoff run. Yeah, I, I, that touchdown by Rudolph, I'm still not convinced he wasn't throwing it away. I mean, that that looked like a ball he was trying to put out of the back of the end zone, and Rudolph somehow pulls it in two touchdowns on the day for Kyle Rudolph. But let's hear from the victorious quarterback. Whether you liked the stat or not, got a big monkey off his back. Here's Kirk Cousins. All right, so uh, another big game this week. I feel like I keep saying that, but uh, on the road against a really good football team. They're highly ranked on all sides of the football great players at all levels of their defense and obviously on their offense and uh, really good coaches. So, uh, you know, big challenge for us, exciting challenge. And, uh, you know, today we just got to start stacking up the preparation and, and have a great day of, of meetings and practice and review and memorization. So when we go home tonight, we feel like we can put that part of the plan aside and get ready for tomorrow. So um, with that, I'll take any questions you have. Is this team need to win a game on the road against a winning team just to kind of get yourself set for the playoffs and the schedule the rest of the way? I just think that to get in the playoffs, you're going to have to do that, right? I mean, you can't really, uh, uh, you know, pick only certain teams that you're going to beat. You know, when you're a playoff team, if you're going to be a playoff team, you have to win tough games and tough environments uh, at some point. Otherwise, you're probably not getting into the playoffs. So we see this week as a great opportunity to do that. And, uh, and um, you know, it's... Really, you just treat it like it's a it's a one game focus right now, and all of our energy has to be poured into this game and, and a really good opponent. Kirk Cousins, and now let's look at the situation how it sets up. They are seven and three. They've got a game against Denver. They've got a bye week. They're going to be healthy, and they are in awfully good shape. Now everyone is chasing San Francisco, who looks like they'll have home field advantage, but. This is a team that could be at home at some point in the playoffs. Uh, Green Bay still the leader in the North, 8-2. and two. And we're going to talk about what happened to New Orleans later in the program. New Orleans, one of the shockers of the day on Sunday. They come in 7-1 and one against the 1-7 Falcons. And, well, how does a cliche become a cliche? Yeah, they throw out the records when those two teams play and we found out exactly <laughs> why a lot more to get into the chiefs get stunned by the titans as well but we're going to turn to college football after a quick break here a reshaping the landscape type of a weekend in college football in particular that lsu win snapping the eight game skid against alabama and how about the gophers pj fleck rowing the boat we'll talk to pete dammel from Yahoo Sports after a real quick break here on Home and Home. But first, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter because hiring can be a slow process. Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz, not my best friend Dylan Burns, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter 
said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ziprecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. College football talk with our guy Pete Thamel. Heisman, where's that out now? As well as college football playoff, Chase Young, Chad Morris gets fired at Arkansas. We'll get back to the NFL in a little bit, but when we come back, it is college football time. Remember, less than five minutes of commercials per hour. Nobody's doing this. Tell your buddies, tell your brosifs, tell everybody. It's home and home. Radio.com original. Change the narrative. Yes, sir. We're going to beat their ass in recruiting. We're going to beat their ass every time they see us. Oh, God. You understand that? Yes, sir. Roll that one. Fuck you. Yeah! Holy shit. That was Ed Orgeron postgame. Roll Tide. What F you? With that awesome voice, let's talk about LSU's landscape-shifting win over Alabama on Saturday in Tuscaloosa with Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. Pete, you were there. Good to see you, man. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker, another example of why players should never use Instagram Live in the locker room. Uh, We'll get to the game, but that thing, that's going to come back to haunt them. There is no way around it. Well, I... I certainly think that's probably made it to Nick Saban's desk at this point. And, you know, it's uh, it, it's a kind of like the, the loosey-goosey moment that it has a little new money feel to it, you know? Like, act like you've been there before. You don't exactly see the Crimson Tide players doing that in the locker room, and you certainly don't see, uh, you know, Nick Saban Sanger doing those types of things. So I, I do appreciate the, the rawness of it, and it is like one of – these streaming devices we saw it in the World Series do give us an actual look of like what it's like in a what it's like in a winning locker room. But I would imagine the young man who did that is getting a uh, getting a stern talking to likely no Popeyes for him this week down in Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, I, I, I'm curious. Are you more surprised by the Minnesota win over Penn State or? how well LSU played to beat Alabama. What was the bigger surprise of those two in your mind? Oh, they were both big surprises, Ross. I certainly didn't pick either of those. And I think we all have viewed Minnesota through the prism of their first three games when they eked by basically on the last play against South Dakota State, Fresno State, and then Georgia State. Not exactly a a conquering army of states there. So, um, and, and we remember that and we, we have not given Minnesota enough credit sort of for this like searing run they've gone on and how much better they've gotten. And if you look at what PJ Fleck did last season, they were middling team early in the year. And then they went on and they just thumped Wisconsin in Madison at the end of the year to break a long losing streak to the Badgers. 
P.J. Fleck has very good players, and he's recruited well. There's always been skepticism in the coaching ranks of P.J. Fleck, and I have never mirrored that skepticism simply because he all he's done is recruit great players and done a great job developing them. You don't go 13-0 and into the Cotton Bowl at Western Michigan without having an understanding of recruitment and development. And then I think the factor that we all underestimated with Minnesota was belief. P.J. Fleck is one of the best in modern coaching at instilling belief in his players. And if you have a team on a string with you rolling, believing they can win, that's a lot more powerful than maybe having a few more five stars. Um, as for LSU, no. oh, good. No, uh, I want to stay on that game, yeah. and then we'll get back yep. to LSU-Bama because it was – the real landscape shifter and that they move up to number seven in the polls. And I don't think a lot of people know about the Gophers. I don't think a lot of people know about PJ Fleck. Um, this whole row your boat, cheesy yeah. mentality. Talk about the concerns uh, other programs have had about PJ Fleck and some of the things that rub people the wrong way that clearly work inside the program. Yeah, well, I am uh, I am probably like PJ Fleck's biographer. I've spent probably more time with him than any reporter in the, in the country, and uh, and have always had like a, a fond appreciation for how defiantly different he is, Dave. And so, in two thousand and I guess it was thirteen, it was the week of that Patriot Seahawks Super Bowl. Uh, before PJ Fleck had taken off at Western Michigan, before he had made a bowl, they went one and eleven and recruited the number one recruiting class in the MAC, And it was a, a really anomalously highly rated recruiting class for, for Western Michigan. So it was coming into signing day. I was working at Sports Illustrated. They wanted kind of an offbeat signing day story. I said, hey, why don't I go to Western Michigan and just see what this guy's about? He's very different. And uh, it is uh, PJ at Western. And then uh, later, later while he was there, they opened with Michigan State at home. And I did an all-access story and spent three or four days with them. Um, Two takeaways, if we want to distill the essence of P.J. Fleck. One is that he has a genuine energy. He's not a guy who's like morose and then gets up and puts on a performance at the press conference. He's like that at 6 a.m. He's like that at 6 p.m. He's like that at midnight. He, is, he has more genuine energy than any human I've been around in, in college football coaching. And the, uh, the, the AD who, who hired him at Western Michigan, Kathy Beauregard, did so with a very interesting thing in mind. They had had a, a, a program, and to tell you how <laughs> forgettable the guy was, I'm not going to remember his name right now. They just had another old coach who was in the MAC, and he's there for a long time, and he's been pretty good, and his time kind of cycled out. And, she, and the players weren't motivated. The players didn't believe. And so when she interviewed candidates, she had a 15-, 16-year-old son at the time. She said, I want to hire a coach who's going to connect with my son. And P.J. Fleck was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver coach. He was Greg Schiano's wide receiver coach. And I have to admit, I had never heard of him, like, when they hired him. Like, I, covering National College football, did not know he existed. Like, that's how surprising the hire was. And he comes into Western Michigan. He goes 1-11. And, 11, and it, it's, it's a complete disaster. Uh, the team stinks. Everything's falling apart. And he stays with this mantra of row the boat. Now, row the boat came when he worked for Shiano at Rutgers, uh, probably a, a decade before. He and his family uh, faced a tragedy that a young son died soon after he was born. And so what, what he did basically from that moment on was dedicate his life and his energy 
to the memory of his unborn son. And when things are hard, when things are bad, he developed a row the boat mantra, come get in the boat, work together, and keep rowing through hard times. And that is, that is sort of the, the singular theme that he's carried with him through Western Michigan, where, you know, they didn't have any boats. Why would you have a boat in Western Michigan? But there's boats all around campus. So it's his, he looks different. He sounds different. He acts different than any other coach in college football. But in, in reality, he, to me, is indicative of how college coaching is in the process of changing. We're seeing more Dabos, even really Ed Orgeron's, guys that aren't all all balled up in the X's and O's, and they're more concerned about culture, and they're more concerned about recruiting, and they're more concerned about motivation than they are about, you know, run fits on third and six. And I think PJ, PJ Fleck is caught up in that wave. He has completely turned a just juiceless program at, at Minnesota who had been, who had been okay under Jerry kill Me- mediocre, mediocre plus maybe. And then they were flailing under Tracy clays and they, he comes in, there's a, there's a huge sexual assault scandal that's sort of ensconcing the program. And PJ Fleck comes in, stills his culture slowly, but nobody believes, nobody believes, nobody believes. I didn't even believe on, on Saturday. And uh, they, they, they've kept on going. And it, it's been a, it's been really impressive now. He had Western Michigan 13-0 and through the regular season, the MAC championship. They lost to Wisconsin. Now here we are with Minnesota at 9-0 and four years later. It's not a coincidence. Guy knows what he's doing. Pete, just as a follow-up to that, I know we just signed an extension. I know there's a really big buyout. I don't really picture him being at Minnesota two years from now or three years from now. Um, can you just explain – how would that work? Like if a year from now, and maybe Notre Dame or maybe some some school hires him that's struggling. Maybe it's USC at the end of the season. I don't know how that would work, but do you envision him staying there? And it, does the buyout thing go both ways? So it's a good good question, Ross. He uh, he and his agents got a deal done uh, last week. At, you know increase in compensation, huge increase for the staff. Um, you know, the one thing that, that he did that sort of sparked this turnaround was, was fire his defensive coordinator, it elevated uh, Joe Rossi defensive coordinator midway through last season. And that's really about when things started to turn distinctly for, uh, for, for Minnesota. Um, but for for Fleck, the buyout right now is ten million, which is which is a big scary number. But you can also interpret it as a number him feeling like he doesn't want to leave in the near future or go to any of the jobs that are open right now. And uh, I, I know this from talking to PJ in the last couple of weeks. He feels like next year's team is going to be better because I believe this is his third season there. So now you're starting to get a couple of your own full recruiting cycles in. Uh, they lose a couple of players up front on defense that'll hurt them. I believe they they only lose one player or one starter from their uh, from their offense unless kids go early to the NFL, maybe one or two. Um, so it's it it is it is it is a program that's searing forward right now. And I believe December thirty first next year the buyout drops from ten million to something in the four and a half million range, which is very tenable. 
So you can rule out FSU and USC. Talking to Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports Catch, his college podcast, Pat Forty and Dan Wetzel. Let's get back to that LSU game. And before this game, which you did attend, you wrote about Joe Burrow, who now looks like the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. And I love this. You write, he showed up in SpongeBob pajama pants, sucking a caramel apple lollipop. Now he's in the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy. What changed? for Joe Burrow, and specifically for the LSU offense that we always knew as this boring, conservative offense where quarterbacks went to die, yet he transferred there from Ohio State. Yeah, it's one of the most remarkable jumps that that I can remember in all my years of, of of covering college football. If you had asked me before the season, Dave, where does Joe Burrow end up getting drafted in the NFL draft this season, you say, hey, set an over-under. I would have said mid-fourth round, right? And he's probably going to go in the top 10 right now. And it's a confluence of things. One, he played a season, and then he had a spring at LSU to work on timing, work on repetition, all those things, get to know his receivers better. Um, You know, the the key to unlocking this offense and really unlocking the the talent at the skill positions – I saw it up a field level in the Texas game because I was there for all access. And then I saw it, obviously, like the rest of the world did on uh, on Saturday night. LSU has a collection of high-end talent at, at, at wide receiver with, with Chase and Jefferson. I mean, these are they, – they have a trio there – that are uh, that that are that that are not Alabama good, but they are they are high high end, and they've always had high end receivers at LSU. They had early Doucette back in the day. They had uh, obviously OBJ. They had Jarvis Landry. They had OBJ and Jarvis Landry at the same time. You think that would have been like the best duo in the in the history of uh, in the history of college football? What Joe Brady has done is come in and he's instilled an offense, and it's not some like crazy cosmic scheme that's from other world. It's a mix of the Saints' quick pass game and some college RPO that he learned as a GA for Joe Moorhead at Penn State. And they don't run a lot of plays, and they run a lot of the, the, the same plays over and over again. Now, they may do them out of different formations, and there may be option routes off of what they do. But what they've done is they've just drilled these plays. It's a little bit like conceptually like yeah. the air raid where Mike Leach only runs seven plays, but they run them really well. And everybody, you know, you can, you can execute them. And so um, it's sort of been beautiful simplicity, but the, my one takeaway from Saturday night was when the game was on the line, LSU didn't just go into the conservative womb and run the ball. They kept throwing the ball. They kept their foot on the gas. How many teams have you seen? That, I mean, they're, they're up 20 points, go into this just conservative run. Orgeron joked at it after, about it after the game. He's like, well, I wish they would run a little more. <laughs> But they kept <laughs> passing. They kept their foot on their throat. And, 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 and I thought that that's really what won them the game. They acknowledged it as a shootout, and they kept shooting. They didn't, they, didn't go, uh, they didn't go conservative. And, I mean, the key play from that Texas game in September, third and 17, Texas has not stopped them the entire second half. Here's their chance finally to do it. And Burrow steps up in the pocket and, and wings a ball 20 yards down the field, and they pick up the first down. How many coaches, you know, with six, seven minutes left holding a lead would have just stuck it in the fullback's gut, punted, and played some defense? So give give LSU credit. What Joe Burrow has done and what Joe Brady has done is he has changed the mindset and mentality along with changing the schemes. 
And those wide receivers, you say maybe not Alabama good. I don't know. There's no group I'd rather have than that LSU group because even Marshall, I think, is a, yeah. a number one option on a lot of teams. And the balls that Jeremy, Jerry Judy dropped uh, on Saturday were devastating for that Alabama team. I mean, a couple of perfect passes from Tua on that hobbled ankle. But it's Alabama. And it's an Alabama culture, and it's Nick Saban, so everyone's talking about how Alabama still winds up in the college football playoff. Should they still be in that picture? Will they still find their way in? That race for number four right now is 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 pretty compelling. I have to admit, I'm uh, I'm not someone who overreacts to uh, the the Tuesday night rankings, but I am genuinely intrigued who they put there at number four. There will be like riots if they put Alabama at four after they lose and give up 46 points at home all around all around college football. Uh, I have a column coming out on on Yahoo today that that basically says in a very weird way Auburn ends up being the key to the college football playoff race. They host Georgia and they host Alabama, who both have an argument for that four spot within the next month. I believe the Georgia game Saturday, the Alabama game obviously traditionally ends the season on the 30th, and then. The Oregon loss to Auburn is another key piece of the debate. So if you're a Duck fan, you need Auburn to step up and obliterate both Georgia this weekend and Alabama at the end of the season. That legitimizes your one loss even more and gives you a chance at the, being the best one loss team um, in, in whatever argument unfolds between potentially Oklahoma and others. But if you're Alabama, Auburn's important because you need them – you almost need them to beat Georgia to stay highly ranked to legitimize what will be your only good win. Alabama has not beaten a ranked team, which is kind of crazy to think about it. Oregon hasn't beaten a ranked team. Utah hasn't beaten a ranked team. They're going to – or a team that is currently ranked, I should say. So the, when those two uh, when those two end up playing each other in their Pac-12 title game, Pac title game that is going to be stacked up to maybe Alabama beating Auburn. Like which one is it? Which one is a better win? So in a weird way – Auburn is like the key to this whole matrix, but we don't have all the we don't have the context clues yet. I'm just so glad, Pete, that you didn't mention Oklahoma. They're out. They're not good. I watched the Iowa State game. <laughs> they better not get in, Pete. I'm blaming you if Oklahoma gets in. They should not be in. They should be like 12th at this point. They could have lost that game to Iowa State. That's not what I'm going to ask you about. What I'm going to ask <laughs> you about is Chase Young. This is the third week in a row I've asked you about Chase Young. This very different, suspended on Saturday against Maryland. Herb Street said it's four games. They're hoping to get it down to two or three. You know, I've seen some people say he got a loan from a friend. Other people have said, well, he just met the friend when he was going to Ohio State, and the person's a certified agent, NFLPA rep. I mean, there's a lot out there. What do you know, and what do you think happens? Good question. I think it is a short suspension, and I don't know yet because they don't know yet in terms of what the actual suspension is. The NCA still basically has to process it, and then there, there could end up being an appeal. So I think the, the range of, of numbers is, 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 is about right, but I, I'm not ready to sit here and say, this that or or this that now i'd be surprised if he does play this weekend in part because it's rutgers right so what's interesting is in in the james wiseman case which i'm not sure how closely you guys follow he's going to be the number one pick in the nba draft or you know a top five pick in the nba draft and plays at memphis 
Memphis basically sat back and ignored the NCAA's advice. He, they said he would uh, be unlikely to be eligible. And Memphis said, you know what? We're going to go ahead a court injunction and play him anyway. So that is not playing ball with the NCAA. What Ohio State is in the process of doing is saying, oh, he may not be eligible. We're going to hold him out. Because a lot of times people say, oh, the NCAA suspended him. When really they recommend holding him out until a definitive decision comes down the pipe. So I think we're in the process of watching Ohio State play ball with the NCAA. And because they're playing ball with the NCAA, we're going to have to wait on wait on a ruling for a uh, for for a decision. I will say this from Young's camp's perspective, the narrative has been very clear. Uh, a few outlets, including Fox, reported that he was borrowing the money to fly his girlfriend out to the Rose Bowl, and to me, that came off as a little bit saccharine. Like, oh, let's try to create a narrative that 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 gets people angry and builds public support and sentiment at a time at the NCA, uh, you know, is all time unpopular. I don't know the nuances of all the specifics. I don't really think anybody does. There's certainly a lot rattling around the, 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 the agent world, but I, I saw that as maybe potentially a little bit poking the, uh, poking the, trying to curry favor to put pressure on the NCA as it, as it deals with this just like ludicrous day where a guy who could be the number one pick in the NFL draft and the guy who could be the number one pick in the NCA draft end up getting caught up in in NCA rules issues that are gonna that, that end up with either a suspension or a recommended suspension that that gets ignored, and so I really think like we'll look back at that Friday um, when those two stories broke as a touchstone moment. I mean. The, you know, there's an argument whether like the long snapper would really be worth that much more money than his scholarship, right? At, you know, a place like Alabama or wherever. But I can tell you this, James Wiseman and Chase Young, their name, image, and likeness is worth a lot of money. It's worth enough to help your family move from Memphis to Nashville as that story came out. And it's also more than enough to, you know, help fly, you know, fly some people, fly some family members around to a bowl game because, you know, Chase Young at that point had been, you know, emerged as a star at Ohio State and certainly could have found ways to profit off his name, image, and likeness. So it's a, we're we're at very interesting dynamic times as we've talked a lot about here on this uh, on this show, guys. And I, I think Friday really wrapped into that. You know, it's funny, Pete. Number one, I don't really believe that all it was was a loan for his girlfriend to go to the Rose Bowl uh, and why that would come out now. Uh, you know, I, I don't truly believe that. I also think, uh, you know, the timing of it's interesting. My guess is it's reduced from four games to two games. And on November 23rd, he's playing against Penn State. That's my guess. We'll see. But I'd be willing to bet on that. I did have one last one for you, Pete. And that's after Chad Morris got fired at Arkansas. We now have two Power Five programs, Florida State and Arkansas, where a guy was fired midway through their second year. Is this fair? And if so, what does this say about the state of college football right now? You know, it, it, the, the more they're two very separate situations. Um, I don't know if it's fair, but it's it's the world now. You know, remember, you used to always get when I started in this business, you used to always get four years, right? And get on your own kids and see where you are. And now it became three. And this year now we're shifting to two, which is crazy. Um, it, it is not a lot of time, especially because now of the early signing day, 
you basically, your first class is obliterated out. Whoever replaces Chad Morris at Arkansas is going to have a terrible first recruiting class. Like it's already cemented. You can't even, you don't even have the month to scramble and try to rebuild it. Um, actually, if there's one thing Chad Morris did very well was he had a top 25 nationally acclaimed recruiting class, his one full class there at Arkansas. Now, will all those kids get in the portal and transfer? Maybe, but like they actually have some good young players who've made some plays for them. But he switched systems from Brett Bielma to uh, to you know to a spread offense, and the parts don't match. So you're 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 trying to fit a square peg in a round hole or whatever it is, and that's a difficult thing to do. That takes time, and that takes getting your own players in. They didn't they didn't uh, they didn't feel that. Um, you know. There's a there's an old Jeremy Foley saying that if something you feel like something needs to be done eventually, you should do it immediately. And I, I feel like with both Willie and Chad, there was there was a hopelessness around the program. With Florida State, it was it was penalties in game execution. They were just extremely sloppy. They were last in the nation penalties last year. They were 124th or something like that this season. And then with with Chad, they were just completely overwhelmed. I mean, he was, I believe, Owen. 14 or 15 in the SEC, depending on how many games they have left. And they got blown off the field by a Conference USA team. So it's it's just hard to sell hope to fan bases right now when there is no hope. Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports. Follow him at Pete Dammel. Catch their college sports podcast on Yahoo himself. Dan Wetzel, Pat Forty. Great to talk to you, Pete. I tell you what, one thing they have to stop doing is if you're not a great program, stop paying someone millions of dollars to kick your ass. Arkansas paid $3 million for two losses this year. That practice ought to stop. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Ross, do you think that should stop? They Again, they paid $3 bucks to San Jose State and Western Kentucky to come to Arkansas, come to Fayetteville, to kick their ass. Will that practice stop for the teams not named Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and the true powerhouses? No, that, that'll never stop. That's that's the way college football business works because you need FBS programs to come so you, you know to balance out your schedule so that you get seven home games, five away games. They make a lot of money on those home games in the SEC Power 5 programs, but you need opponents, and there aren't that many that are open, and they have other options, so you got to pay up. What needs to stop, if you're Arkansas, <laughs> is losing to San Jose State and Western <laughs> yeah. Kentucky. God, has that got to be a painful experience for an athletic director? You know, what my, yeah, you know what my idea is? What's you that? know what I want them to do? After the game, after San Jose State or Western Kentucky beats them, on the 50-yard line, on the hog, you know, the Razorbacks, I want the AD for Arkansas to have to give them one of those big checks like from Happy Gilmore. And I I, I want to picture the San Jose State or Western Kentucky coaches and players smiling holding one of those big checks that says $1.4 million. Like that would be, that's my dream. That would be, they need to do that. Somebody, even if it's fake and it's, they're all fake. Someone needs to make one of those awesome, awesome checks 
and have it on with the scoreboard behind him after the game. That would be amazing. <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> the minister of common sense saving the day again in college football. We need those big checks when you pay someone to come kick your ass. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Remember, only five minutes of commercials per hour here on Home and Home. Everyone else is doing like 20. So you got to tell your friends to download the radio.com app and stream us there or check us out on Spotify. When we come back, why you have to throw out the records. We found out how a cliche becomes a cliche. 7-1 Saints, 1-7 Falcons. What the heck happened with this game? We'll also talk about the Chiefs and the return of Patrick Mahomes after a quick break. You're on Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.